Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss Stir of Echoes. Sebastian and I'm here with Jennifer. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't help it. Uh, well, if you can't tell from that extremely deep cut reference, <laughs> the film that we are discussing this episode is Stir of Echoes from 1999, a supernatural thriller starring Kevin Bacon and directed by David Kep, who is a big-time Hollywood screenwriter. He wrote uh, many huge movies like Jurassic Park, Spider-Man, mm-hmm. after this movie. And he's directed a, a few movies, too. He did this movie in Secret Window. So mm-hmm. kind of like thrillers are his thing when yeah. he directs. But yeah, this is one of his first um, major movies that he directed. Well, I think he, spoiler, did an excellent job. He did a pretty good job. Now, this is based on a Richard Matheson short story, Stir of Echoes, which I have not read. So I can't, A Stir of Echoes. A Stir of Echoes, which I have not read, and so I can't speak to it. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it's good because Richard Matheson is one of the greatest horror writers of all time. Yep, absolutely. A lot of his um, style was adopted by Stephen King. Stephen King credits him as one of his major influences. And if you ever get around to reading Richard Matheson, you can really see it. Uh, I Am Legend, the book, is one of my favorite horror books, and that is written by Richard Matheson, and I would recommend anybody read it. It's interesting that hearing that about Stephen King, because um, there's a lot of The Shining. Definitely, in, in this. this movie. Yeah. Well, and also, one of the things that Stephen King sort of made popular or brought to the horror genre was the idea of like normal people Mm -hmm. going through these things Mm -hmm. and before that 
most horror genre would be like it's a scientist or somebody important would be the main character of the story but what Stephen King really did was he made horror stories around normal people and normal towns and you know that sort of thing so it's kind of like that Ouroboros type of situation where you have the snake eating its tail because Richard Matheson didn't really do that but Stephen King did borrow a lot from him in terms of style and everything like that so yeah while this original story was written by Richard Matheson this movie I think owes a lot to Stephen King yeah do you have a history with this movie I do um this was one that I did see in the theater and I loved it and I still love it I just really was enjoying watching it again now and I've seen it numerous times we have the blu-ray and yeah it's just I mean this is one of my favorite genres in the horror genre um, you know, and then a thriller as well. I mean, come on. Yeah. It doesn't get more me than that. <laughs> I, yeah. And, you know, just a, a good ghost story. And uh, I think it's great. It's got a lot of the elements of a supernatural thriller that I think are popular now. It's got a ghost story element. It's a haunted house movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a mystery. So those three elements, I think, are kind of like key supernatural thriller elements. This is definitely from the genre of like, there's a ghost that's trying to tell somebody something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll have more to say about that at the end of the podcast, uh, because when we get to our why did this fail, because this did underperform pretty significantly at the box office when it was released in 1999. And there's a very clear and present reason for that, which we will discuss at the end. Oh, 1999. Yes. So if you need a little preview, think back to the yesteryear of 1999 and think of what might have happened around then to make this movie maybe not do as well as it could have. But anyway, let's get into the movie. It stars Kevin Bacon, and he's playing just a normal Chicago guy. I think uh, it's sort of hinted at that he had aspirations to be in a band, but Mm -hmm. it never really took off. He's married to Law & Order's Catherine Erb. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like, I would say maybe early 30s. You know, they're young. They've still got their youth, but they've become a family. They've had a kid who I would say is roughly what, four? Would you say four or five? Something like that. I'm so bad at guessing that age, but I think that seems accurate. Yeah, he's around four or five, a little boy who is seeing dead people, we will find out. So yeah, I mean, they're just this kind of normal Chicago couple. Kevin Bacon's really putting on the Chicago accent, you know. I think he's doing a good job with it. Oh yeah, he's totally doing a good job with it. Yeah, I I like this setup. I like this family. I like this neighborhood that they're in. They're in like, a, you know, it's Chicago, but it's like a little pocket of it. And, you know, you could get to hear the, the L going by. And even though it's, which I think is true to Chicago, and I, you know, haven't spent a whole lot of time there. I've never lived there, but I used to go through there when I worked for United many years ago. I think that's, it's very accurate depiction of being, you know, it's urban and it's a city, but you got have these pockets that are suburban. I've also spent a little time in Chicago when my band was on tour. We ended up stuck in Chicago for like a week. We had a good time because we had friends there and um, I've been there before as well in the 90s. So I know it sort of. I'm familiar with the Chicago vibe and this feels very Chicago. I mean it was shot there and everything so 
it definitely feels Chicago. I'm sure the interiors were sets, but you know, in LA, but the, the rest of it feels very authentically Chicago. I like the house that they're in. I think it's really cool. I mean, they're, they're renting this house from one of their neighbors is also their landlord and he's uh, Tom, I believe. No, Tom is sorry. Tom is Kevin Bacon. I can't remember what that guy's name is. That's the the landlord anyway i don't remember later it's it, he kevin bacon mentions i can't believe we're paying 800 a month for this and it's like this great house and i mean but 99 it's a long time ago now it would definitely be probably three grand <laughs> triple of that yeah you know it seems like it's a fun neighborhood like there's you know always some sort of party or gathering going on and it was making chicago look good yeah we start off the story that um kevin bacon's tom comes home and he his wife uh maggie is hanging out with his sister played by elena douglas isn't that her sister is that maggie's sister oh wait no you're right it's it's her sister that's she says it's my sister and then she's she's with her later at the the funeral that's right she doesn't really like tom very much which i mean i guess you could also not like your brother, but yeah, that she's she's Maggie's sister. Okay, that's funny because I feel like I've seen this movie a few times, and I feel like I always assume they're the brother and sister because they have this sort of like brother and sister adversarial relationship. I think they just have that brother and sister in law adversarial relationship. No, now that you're mentioning it, it makes sense because yeah. if she is at the funeral that happens later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, she's hanging out with her sister, right? And her sister has some. Some sort of gift, you would say. I mean, she like does tarot readings or something like that for people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of a gift she has per se, as much as she's like she's actually gone to training for this. Like she's taking classes and stuff. Catherine Herb calls her a witch because yeah. the the scene is they're hanging out, and Ileana Douglas shares some big news that Catherine Herb is pregnant again. Yeah, and Kevin Bacon's like you told her first and she's like she's a witch you know she of course she knows so i mean i guess they're saying that she is intuitive in some way but it's it's more that she you know the, the whole hypnosis thing that's going to come into play is that she's you know learning to do this i mean she didn't just know how to do it i do think the whole pregnancy thing doesn't really amount to much in the story well except for me just like the whole time thinking because I, I i i even forgot about that piece and i've seen this movie so many times and this time it just really like stayed with me the whole time and i was like she's pregnant through all of this like this is there's a lot going on here a lot of stress and and she's already six weeks pregnant so anyway it doesn't really come up again it doesn't factor into the story the only thing it really does is it sort of at the beginning sort of adds a little pressure i guess onto them well it does on i guess it's kind of defining that they're getting by but they're not, you know, super comfortable with things. They already have a child. And Tom's like, you know, first his reaction is she's like, say something. And he was like, bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Which was, you know, probably a, a, you know, a very accurate response in the sense of like, it's it's going to be more for them. Because it looks like she works at the hospital or something. And he's, a, as you pointed out, a, a lineman for the county. The county. I just want to p- jump in here. And the reason why this is of interest to us, because we heard that song, The Wichita Lineman. Glenn which Campbell. I, by Glenn Campbell, which I actually really like. And I was like, what is a Wichita lineman? And because this is probably something that's not too common anymore, a lineman 
was somebody or is somebody still, I'm sure there's still people who work on landlines, but who goes around to telephone poles and goes up on the telephone poles and checks the line. And it's kind of cool that he has that job just because they use it for Mm -hmm. a cool scene later when he calls Ileana Douglas. And instead of it just being a boring phone call somewhere, he's like on... (laughs) A cherry picker or whatever, one of those bucket trucks. You know, he's up like up in the freaking telephone pole. Well, it's kind of cool because I feel like they just picked any... Because he's just supposed to be a working class stiff, right? You know, so his job could be anything. But I think it's funny that they picked that... And it's also thematically relevant because, you know, communication is such a huge part of this movie, yes. like receiving messages yes. and everything. So it's cl- it's clever thematically to have him be a lineman as his job where he's testing phone lines and making connections and all that kind of stuff. Agreed. But we're, yeah, where, that, where we're introduced to that is because of the, the new baby on the way. And he's like, when he realizes that Bummer wasn't the best response... You know, like a good husband, he goes in and says, "Hey, I'm. A, this is great. And I thought, you know, it's time we have another child. And, um, you know, don't worry about it. I'll, uh, I'll pick up some overtime. And, you know, and she's like, No, I don't want you doing that. You're like a zombie. I need you to be more present at home. And he was like, And yeah, and I'll, don't worry about that other thing. I'll tell him I'm not available. And it was he was going to be playing in a band. And you know, we're establishing that Tom he loves his wife and child. But he's also feeling not satisfied with where he is in life. Yes. You know, he had he had said he another party tells Catherine Herb later, you know, like I had told you when I first met you that I wasn't just going to be cutting line for, you know, forever. And, you know, she's like, no, you're, you're going to move into the office or whatever. And, you know, he just had bigger ideas as to where he would be at this time. Well, he says, I never thought I'd be like a rock star, but I never thought I'd be so ordinary. Ordinary, yeah. He wants to find meaning. And the dramatic irony of his character is he is going to become a little extraordinary (laughs) because something's going to be awakened in him. So that's the irony there is he doesn't want to be ordinary. And it's like, all right, well, you're not ordinary anymore. Why don't we talk about sort of the inciting incident? So they go to this party at uh, the neighbors, Kevin Dunn, and Kevin Dunn is like a total Chicago guy. I mean, he looks like a Belushi, even though he's not a Belushi. (laughs) And you've seen him in a million things. He played the dad in some of the Transformers movies. I mean, he's a character Character actor. actor. He's He's of that guy big time. Um, But this is the movie that I really know him most from because his character actually gets like a real arc in this movie, which is not usual for Kevin Dunn. (laughs) And um, he's great in it. I mean, he's perfectly cast. I think he's excellent. The whole film is well cast. Like, I I believe... Like, it seems like this is what this is a real neighborhood. These are real people. This is what they're doing. And I mean, like, even I'm not sure the actor who's playing his wife, but like, she's just really like kind of sassy. And he's always like Kevin Dunn's always like checking out boobs and like I another I mean you know not like he's like some philanderer but he's like at the parties like totally checking out like young girls and stuff and you know his wife is just talking to Catherine Herb and just kind of talking shit about him and his boners and stuff like that well I also think that's meant to be something of a red herring because we're sort of hearing in the background in this party that there was a girl who disappeared a mentally challenged girl who is referred to in less flattering terms by one of the idiot neighbors but i think we're to suspect kevin dunn's character is maybe 
like, oh, he had a thing for the young girls or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe. Because when I'm watching this movie, if it's been a while since I've seen it, I always forget, forget what happened. Right. The, yeah. And I'm like, oh, right. Kevin Dunn, because he is involved. Yes. But he's not the killer. No. But I forget that. And I'm like, yeah, because he's a perv and he right. likes <laughs> young girls. But no, yeah. that's not it. So I think that's an intentional red herring to his character. Yeah. So that you suspect him. I also wanted to point out, I thought, um, is this something I noticed this time? Even though... He's feeling like his life is very ordinary. I mean, he is like he's he's a good dad and a good husband and he does love them. And I just think it's sweet because the party is just right across the street. You know, it's like they leave their kids sleeping upstairs, but he like brings the baby monitor and he's like hanging out by himself with the baby monitor. Like, I don't know. It's kind of parenting I can appreciate. They're like, well, we're not going to miss the party. Yeah, not these days. No, that would be considered really (laughs) bad. Some sort of abandonment or something. Yeah. Their kid would be taken away. Yeah. (laughs) So at the party, it's sort of winding down and there's only a few people left. So they're all hanging out and Elena Douglas is talking about, you know, supernaturally type of things. And of course, you know, Kevin Dunn is like, it's all stupid or whatever. He's making fun of it. So is Kevin Bacon. Yeah, it's not not the crowd to talk about your your psychic phenomenon and tarot with. No. Like they're just like, this is bullshit. And and Kevin Bacon is probably a little drunk at this point, too. And so he's like really just, you know, kind of like, OK, fine. You're going to hypnotize somebody He's like hypnotize me. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, you're drunk. And he's like, I'm not drunk. And she's like, you're also being hostile. You yeah. know, you're not really wanting to do this. But he keeps on her and they've been building up to it, too. Like she's talking about, you know, in her class where they like stuck a pen through somebody's hand and the person didn't feel it under hypnosis. And then Catherine Herb's like, yeah, we saw the mark the next day it happened. And so she proceeds to go and hypnotize Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And when he's in this hypnotic state, she sort of describes what he's supposed to see. And so he sees himself in a movie theater, which looked like it could have been the Vista. Mm -hmm. It kind of did look like the Vista. I might be wrong on that. We're such good fact checkers. (laughs) (laughs) We can't be good at everything. Full disclosure, we usually just watch the movie and get right on the microphone because we're lazy that way, you know? I think it's because it's fresh in our minds and we want to really just get into it. I'd rather leave these things to the listeners to then explore on their own and then, you know, write us angry tweets or whatever. I say bring it on. (laughs) So anyway, he imagines himself in a movie theater and then she sort of changes the details. It turns into a all black movie theater and then he looks upon the screen and it says sleep Mm -hmm. bottom line is what happens here is his mind is opened up to things basically the last thing she says she does to him is she said she wanted him to have a more open Mm -hmm. mind and so she sort of planted that in his mind there's a bunch of weird shit that happens in the hallucination and they stick a pin in his hand and you know he wakes up suddenly and doesn't realize what happened and he was crying about some bully that beat him up no and like sweating and he was under for way longer than what it shows in the hallucination as well like the hallucination is pretty fast yeah as far as like you know we get 
some real quick shots of kind of things to come. I think it shows like the house or something. Yeah. Um, it all happens really fast right after, you know, it says sleep or whatever. And then so when he comes to, but yeah, he's apparently been crying about this bully from when he was 12 and she stuck a safety pin through his skin and he didn't feel it. So he was like having like a total experience with the people that were there while all of this other stuff is going on in his subconscious, I guess. But I mean, the bottom line is, and what, where we're going with all of this is this has now made him receptive to the supernatural. Basically he's going to start seeing this ghost of a girl played by Jennifer Morrison, who uh, was known as Jenny Morrison at this point in her career. She's young. Mm -hmm. I'd say she's probably in her late teens. Yeah. Or maybe early 20s. So, yeah, I mean, he goes home and he's like trying to watch TV on the couch and he sits back on the couch and we get a jump scare that she's there. The sort of ghost stuff in this movie, is, I think, is pretty decent. Like, I remember at the time it being kind of scary. Mm -hmm. It's sort of lessened over time. I mean, it's hard to scare with ghost stuff these days, but it's pretty good. I think it's still really good for what it is. And something else that when he comes to at the party, he um, is like hella thirsty. He's drinking whatever he can, like chugging water or beer or orange juice or whatever. And that is a reoccurring theme throughout the rest of the film is every time he has a psychic episode or whatever. When he comes out of it, he's super thirsty. And I looked that up because I was like, is this a thing? And I couldn't find anything. It was funny because when I was Googling hypnosis and orange juice, I was getting recipes for hypnotic, which is a liqueur and oh, orange yeah. juice. <laughs> but I kept kind of just searching around and using different word combinations. And I, I actually got to like a, a chat where people were going back and forth like, oh, it's because, you know, he's dealing with a ghost and that, that ghost is dead. And so he needs more vitamin C uh -huh. because of the death. But um, yeah, they said that the director... Commentary on the DVD reveals this to be something of a non sequitur. He said that people had asked him why Tom drinks so much orange juice. And he said his answer has been that when you acquire psychic powers, you need to drink a lot of orange juice. And no one contested the answer. Okay. <laughs> so that's what it is. So it means nothing. It means nothing. But I just thought, okay, is this something that he researched that like happens with, you know, like people having a side effect from psychic phenomena or something? Well, no, not psychic phenomenon because psychic phenomenon is not real. But you don't know that people do, I think, sometimes wake up from like seizures or some sort mm -hmm. of like fainting spells or whatever and feel, feel really, really thirsty. thirsty. I think that's where he got it. I don't know why he gave that answer i don't know i mean again this was on a chat i haven't heard his answer in the commentary but whatevs well it's a detail that doesn't really amount to much in the movie it doesn't but it, there's a point in the film where you open the fridge and the entire fridge is minute made but my point is it's a little bit like who, why is that yeah. in there because yeah. it doesn't really play out in any way like in a tighter script it would be like the minute made factors into her murder or right, he you right. know it needs that needs to be in there for some reason maybe there it was in there and it got cut out who knows who knows but yeah it doesn't really end up mattering but yeah so now he's you know seeing her he had the tv on she was like trying to say something so he turns the the tv off and then she's gone we've already seen the little boy like right from the beginning 
like before any of this even happens, the very first scene in the movie, the little boy's in the bathtub and he's talking to somebody. He's seeing ghosts. We're yeah. going to learn that the little boy's got the shining, basically. Shinin. A little boy who sees dead people. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this <laughs> will come back in this conversation at all. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he's talking to her, he even knows her name. Her name is Samantha. And that's going to play into a situation that happens because... They go out to a local high school football game or like a college game or something. Well, I think it's a high school game. I think it's in the neighborhood. So uh, one thing to also note is they have a fax machine in their house. That is weird. Yeah. And, and that is never explained. No. And boy, do they use it. I think it's for his job because he comes in and he pulls something off the fax machine and he's like, God, I've already got like four stops before noon. So it's I think I think job. they fax him and stuff over there. But like other people are using it too. Like it's it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of like why don't you just have voicemail? I don't know or an answering machine. I guess I would say. But anyway, we have another scene where she's talking to. Uh, she calls Ileana Douglas, but she gets her answering machine and she's like you know can you sit? I don't want to ask Grandma. Blah blah blah. And then the little boy goes. Oh, why don't you see if Debbie can sit? And she's like, oh, she's like, oh, never mind. She's like, yeah, she goes, that's right. Debbie, who's a babysitter in the neighborhood or whatever. And she gets this girl, Debbie, who's played by, is it Eliza Wheel? Yes. Yeah. From Gilmore Girls, right? Yes. To come sit because she sits for all the kids in the neighborhood. I think the fax machine is there because it's a way to receive messages. It's all about messages, Messaging in this movie is very important. Yes. You could easily remake this with text messages and stuff. Just be called messages. It would be tiresome. (laughs) You would just love to see people texting back and forth. It would be extremely tiresome. Yes. This babysitter arrives, played by Lisa Weil, And Kevin Bacon is already receiving these weird flashes of red Mm -hmm. just being around her. Mm -hmm. And this is going to like play out in this whole sequence because basically what happens is this parallel set of events. They go to this like very well attended high school football game and all the whole time while they're on their way there, Kevin Bacon's seeing red lights and he's just getting triggered by all these different flashing red lights and different things. And then the babysitter is sitting in the living room and hears on the baby monitor the little boy talking to his ghost pal, Samantha. This is a little silly because, you know, she runs right up to his room and he's, she's like, who are you talking to? And he's like, Samantha. And she's like, Samantha? Samantha? It's going to turn out to be that this is the sister of Samantha. And it works because obviously he intentionally was told to get her to mm-hmm. come be his babysitter were to presume by mm-hmm. Samantha, yes. right? Yes. Like this is all Samantha trying to communicate to this family. Hey, my dead body's in the fucking basement. Right. right. Well, because the family thinks she, the whole story is, is that she, that she's missing. They, they've tried to like say that she ran away. So yeah, everything that's sort of going on here is all her, plan she's trying to get her message through Mm -hmm. in any way she can so it does make sense that the sister would be the babysitter but i do think it's weird that the sister immediately is like you're talking about my sister samantha like and not just assume like "Ooh, creepy he's got a imaginary best friend named samantha just like my sister well i think something to point out here which i forget every time until later at the end when one of the characters says i've been dealing with this for six months like this just happened right yeah like it's not even been a year 
So I'm going to cut Debbie some slack here <laughs> because her sister's barely been missing. She has a feeling that, you know, her sister would not run away. Yeah. And something's happened. She was kidnapped or whatever. And it's like, no, it's worse than that. She does behave pretty extremely, though, because she just grabs the little boy and like takes off with him. And Kevin Bacon has sensed this with mm-hmm. his new psychic powers. He runs back to the house and they just chase after her like he magically knows where to go because of his psychic powers sort of and they end up at a bus station which is cool because you're like shit she's gonna like take him on a train or whatever Mm -hmm. or a bus or whatever but we find out she's there to talk to her mom Mm -hmm. who works there and you know kevin bacon and and uh his wife arrive and there's this big scene with the police and everything and then you know uh, Lisa Wilde explains through tears that they must be talking about the sister that's disappeared. And then she like whips out a picture of her. Yeah. And I was like, is this her? Is this who you were talking to or whatever? And of course, the little boy's like all freaked out because who knows if he's even seen her or whatever, how they're communicating. But it's a very intense scene. And then she shows Kevin Bacon, who has seen her. And he just puts his eyes down. He's like, no, I'm sorry, we haven't seen her. And then Catherine Herb's like, let's press charges. And he's like, no, no, no. Because he knows something's going on here. So what happens is Kevin Bacon just starts to get sort of more creepy messages from beyond. He has one when he's at home trying to take a nap. And he has this dream where Kevin Dunn is in his house and tells him that, you know, they're going to kill him and... Then he runs down the street and we find out that Kevin Dunn's son has shot himself. I mean, this all happens twice because it happens in a dream. Right. But then Kevin Bacon wakes up and everything that was in the dream plays out the same way. And he's freaked out by that. Like there's a note on the mirror in the bathroom and his shoes under the couch and everything. But then Kevin Dunn isn't there, right. but yet he goes down the street and he hears a gunshot and he like, <laughs> he really takes matters into his own he hands. He like breaks through their window and goes in there and uh, yeah, Kevin Dunn's son, who he's very proud of his son because he's a good football player, right. has shot himself. So it's this big uh, tragedy. And so basically, Kevin Bacon is becoming more and more unraveled. Now, the thing that happens next, though, is my big criticism of the movie and that is this completely random little side quest that we're going to do which i feel is just to give Catherine herb something to do like she and the little boy are taking a walk together past the graveyard i do love it the little boy's like oh hi to the gravestones yeah. like he's seeing all these dead people right. here but like we get this weird friggin scene where they go into the graveyard and there's like this cop funeral going on right mm-hmm. and there's this black cop dude and he's sort of like looking at the little kid and like waving to him. It's totally trying to be The like Shining. The Shining yeah. with Scatman Crothers. Mm-hmm. And he like follows them into the graveyard after the cop funeral is over. And Catherine Herb's all like, uh, hi, is it okay that we're in here and everything? And he's like, oh no, it's fine. It's just a really weird performance from this actor. It feels just like trying to force in The Shining. And then he's like, bring your husband by to see me 
Jamie later. So Catherine Herb doesn't even bring Kevin Bacon there. She just goes to this weird like location that he's given her. And when she, <laughs> she gets there, it's like this in this back alley somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he like opens up the door and he's like in some sort of like weird print shirt. Like before he was dressed like a cop and dressed blues. And now he's in this weird shirt. And there's these other people in the place with him and I close the door this isn't a freak show or whatever like we're to assume these are all shining people or yeah well I mean I don't I don't have as much of a problem with it as you do you know I mean it's establishing more like because the little boy and this guy know each other's names without telling each other you know they know it because of the shining connection or whatever yeah just fine whatever I, I don't have that much of a problem with it what I do have a problem with is yeah, Catherine Herb going on her own. And there is something that happens here because when she's going out, she tells Kevin Bacon and her son, like, oh, I'm going to the movies, you know, I'll be back. And they're like, so like into their own shit. No one's even noticing her. But she does take a knife and put it in her purse. So that, you know, that does come into play later. So you're saying that knife could have never gone into the purse? No, 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 no. I'm just saying that is something that happens. But what I have a problem with is when she goes to this meeting of the Shining folks. We don't ever even find out what this is. No, because we get the Neil, the the cop, and, and now he's in like some sort of like tribal garb or whatever comes outside and breaks down like what's going on so we have somebody that's like telling us what's going on again what my problem is with this is not that because whatever it's it's explaining at least to her so now she understands what kevin bacon's going through but she's like my husband never would have come here and i'm like really at this point i think he might have come there because he's kind of going crazy Yeah, he's looking for answers his no. answers so that that's dumb it's dumb to me that she goes this movie would be improved immeasurably by just removing this because it really serves no purpose like we know what's going on we don't need this extraneous character who doesn't even factor into the rest of the movie i mean this is a common horror trope okay like in a lot of horror movies somebody has to go to somebody else who explains the magic thing that's going on right but yeah we don't need it to be explained to the audience we get it but like she's having a tough time with it but the problem with this is one that she didn't send him and two that she went and she doesn't even share any of this with him she doesn't even say like i you know i met somebody that has like the same thing exactly. that you are that's what's frustrating is she should she be d- changed by this conversation she's not. she should be like oh i get it i get what he's no, going through now she doesn't if anything she gets even more mad so that, that's what i'm saying it serves no purpose yeah. it doesn't move the story forward it doesn't make her have more understanding it doesn't no no it just feels like something they threw in there because they were like well we gotta have a scene where some magical negro tells somebody <laughs> something and i'm sorry he's a magical negro and how about the shining that's a good movie isn't it (laughs) it it serves no purpose at all you're not wrong you hate it more than i do but you're not wrong about any of it it's just like the one glaring flaw in an otherwise pretty good movie it's like a really attractive person with like a giant mole somewhere on their head you know like where you're like i can't not look at that mole (laughs) I, I understand. We also, at this time, are having Kevin Bacon's. He's now got, well, the little boy was kind of humming it, but he's now got painted black stuck in his head. Yeah. And he's trying to like hash it out on the guitar and stuff too. And now he's like going through the CDs and stuff. He's like, it's driving him crazy because now the song is haunting him. He 
goes back to Eliana. Yeah. Because he's like, I want you to like fix what you did to me. Like I can't, it's driving me crazy. I can't take it. And they go back and she's like, all right, all right, or whatever. And she goes to put him through again. It's the movie theater. And she's saying he's alone in the theater, but he's not because uh, Samantha's there. And she's like, he's like, I'm not alone in the theater. She's like, no, you're alone in the theater. And he gets down there and he touches her shoulder and she turns around. And I feel like he sees a little more of because he's touched her like yes. a little more of what happened. Yes. And then up on the screen in big letters, it says dig. Yeah. I love this next sequence where he's just like, you know, he comes back and he tells Catherine Herb, he's like, she wants me to dig. Well, yeah, she, Catherine Herb comes home uh, from work with groceries and she comes into the house and there's like mud all over the floor and she's like, not cleaning that up. Yeah. And then she goes out into the backyard and yeah, this scene is pretty great because Kevin Bacon's just gone full manic. He's got mm-hmm. a shirt off. He's like digging up the whole backyard yep. because he's been told to dig. The little boy is out there with him digging and like Catherine Herb's like what is going on what are you doing he's like I think we both know what I'm doing like what are you looking for oh I think we know what I'm looking for and then she's like when you're having him dig and he's like don't worry he's in the wrong place over there yeah he's not over there It's the most kind of outwardly comedic um, scene in the movie, but it's also good, too, because it's tense. Like, he is just like, leave me alone. It's the most sort of Jack Nicholson in The Shining moment. Like, one day, like, when you see me in here typing, like, leave me alone or whatever. There's something also interesting in this scene I was reading. Like, he ended up, like, I think pulling something from all of this because he's like got a pickaxe and like she was like what are you doing he's like if you wet the dirt down it's easier to dig and she's like no what are you doing yeah Yeah, yeah. he's just like going nuts yeah so they had to like give him something lighter because he had like hurt himself because he's like really going for it and then another thing that i was reading in the trivia uh because she goes back inside and she slams the door so hard that the glass cracks and then he's like angry and he kicks a bucket and that breaks the window and that wasn't supposed to happen i bet yeah i figured that wasn't supposed to happen yeah, it that was just a like, happy accident yeah that looks like a happy accident because you're like there's no way he could have planned that no that was just him and he just stayed in character and yeah. they just kept it so anyway but yeah he goes inside this <laughs> fridge full of orange juice and he's like pour some orange juice for both of them and she's sitting there because she's reading a fax from that came over from her brother steve yeah and she, then he goes she goes oh this is from my brother steve she's like I, my grandma went back in the hospital and kevin bacon's like oh no she yeah and then he's like never mind you know she's like what what's going on and then the phone rings and like he's in full-on like shining all over the place now like he knows what that her grandma's dead and she gets the call and you know she's upset and she's like if we leave now we can go the funeral's going to be on sunday and he's like Oh, I can't go. You want me to go? She's just like super pissed because, yeah, it's her husband and her grandma like raised her or whatever. But he's like, I can't go. I can't leave this. I'm right in the middle of something. something. (laughs) Yeah. So she and her son take off, which is great because now he's at home alone. Yeah. And he goes down to the basement and then all of a sudden he's like got this feeling that he needs to dig there so he takes the pickaxe and starts at it and then he goes i need tools yeah which i also i just love this whole thing so much and he's like at the ace hardware or whatever and he gets a jackhammer he's just going for it and he's also torn up the floors upstairs like all the hardwood floors are completely torn up and the owner of the house is the neighbor right he lives across the street and once he starts jackhammering 
bring in the house. I mean, they show him like pulling in a generator yeah. into the house and you know, once he starts jackhammering in the basement, you can like hear, hear it. it and he's like cackling like a crazy yeah. person. Yeah. Cuz <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's making some headway now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, the neighbor can hear it across the street, and he's like, it's a rental. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just this whole, like, the neighbor has said, like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this, and this is going to be my retirement, yeah. and, like, whatever. So, anyway, another happy accident that happens is he accidentally bumps into the brick wall and knocks some bricks loose. Like, there's some smaller bricks, but then there's, like, some, like, more exterior kind of more aesthetically pleasing bricks. Yeah. And so he just starts taking these. They just come right out. They're just, like, just pulling those out. And then eventually we get to the body. And we know it's the body that he's been having visions of because he, at one point, he goes to the mirror and pulls out one of his own yep. teeth in a vision. And this body's missing one of the teeth. Yep. She's got the glasses and on. we've seen the orange coat yeah, also orange and coat. like some visions. She has like a very bright orange coat with like fur on, around the trim or whatever. Yeah. And All the details are there. It's really creepy. I love that. I mean, it would make sense because it's only been six months and it's just mummified. Yeah. You know, it's like it's not a skeleton yet. It's it's really creepy. So he touches the skeleton's hand and then we get the full flashback of what happened. And what happened was the son of Kevin Dunn and the son of the guy who's the landlord were hanging out in this house before anybody moved in. And they were drinking, being bad teenage mm -hmm. boys. And they saw Samantha walking by. And, you know, Samantha doesn't seem like she's fully mentally challenged she just seems like she might be a little like slower slower yeah but she's pretty mm -hmm. and they get her to come in the house and the creepier of the two is trying to you know she's like well, you can kiss me if you want but she doesn't really want to no they're basically gearing up to rape, rape her. her it's escalating and she starts screaming and so they turn on the boom box and it's this shitty cover of paint it black that's yeah. on which you know it's all everything's coming together and then the one thing that it's just uh i mean there's so many things in this film but like that really gets to me is when she's grabbing onto the floor and we see her nail break yeah and it's just like oh and then like yeah she falls down face first and that's when her tooth falls out and um they grab because there's plastic everywhere because the house is still being renovated and they try to quiet her and they put plastic over her face, and of course she suffocates. So yeah, these two boys have killed this girl, and that's why Kevin's Dunn's son shot himself, because he couldn't live with the, the guilt. guilt. And so then Kevin Bacon's character, Tom, does something that I think is a little unwise. Um, he goes over to Kevin Dunn's house, which is two or three houses down the street, and is like, hey, you know, it's pouring rain out because it's, you know, dramatic, and like he's like... I need to show you something, you know. The son, I guess, is in the hospital still. He didn't die. Right. But Kevin Dunn is just despondent. He basically says, I need to show you something back at the house. I want you to see it before I have to go to the police and tell your wife and all this stuff. I did notice something this time. Well, one thing is when he finds the body in the basement, then we see the creepy son. Yeah. Who's the, the one that started the whole thing that was not guilty, didn't try to kill himself. Yeah. He's peeking in the window. Right. So he sees that happen. Also, 
with the generator and, uh, you know, when they're pulling all the stuff out of the car or whatever, Kevin Dunn's wife is driving back home Mm -hmm. and she sees him doing all this too. So I don't know how much she knows or what she does or doesn't know about this. But it comes into play later with something that Kevin Dunn says. Anyway, I also think this is unwise because you have all the evidence you need. Yeah. Because in the scene, we see Samantha, when she's struggling, she pulls on the guy's hair. Yeah. Which, I mean, whatever. It was panic. I get it. But like she's still in the mummified hand is the hair. I can believe that teenage boys would miss that no, not detail. The dads. But they we're, we're going to find yeah, they've sorry. roped their dads into covering this up. And that's why she's buried in the basement of this house also perhaps not the wisest place to put a body but i don't know i don't know where else they were gonna you know they'd have to be seen getting it out of the house so yeah i mean i don't know if this was the best place but it kind of makes sense for what had happened and having control over the situation since the guy owned the house yeah but yes we find out that they went to the dad's and, you know, Kevin Dunn's telling all this, you know, he's like, I've had to live with this when he when he comes back and, you know, the body they're in the basement and he's got a gun and he's like, I've had to live with this for six months. And Kevin Bacon's like, who'd you bring that gun for? Yeah, he, yeah he's just like, just get out of here. Like, I always forget about this. I always remember it as Kevin Dunn pulls the gun and they have some sort of scuffle yeah. or whatever, but that's not what happens. No. Kevin Dunn's just like, get out of here. And then Kevin Bacon goes up the stairs and then he heard gunshot. And you assume that Kevin Dunn has shot himself. Yes. But that's not what we're going to find is going to happen. Because then the landlord and his son show up because, as you said, they have been abreast of this situation Mm -hmm. and they're drinking passing a bottle between them this is all bad news it is kind of funny when the landlord comes in and sees the like house torn up and he's like what are you doing like why are you destroying the house yeah yeah. and and then kevin bacon's trying to keep it cool yeah and he's like oh you had a water main break and he's like that's now where the water main is. And yeah. he's like, well, I know that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Plus, we should say at this point, he has talked to Catherine Herb. Yeah. And she's at the funeral. And he's, this is before he discovers the body and things, you know, yeah. go go completely left. But he says, um, oh, everything's fine, you know, and, and I'm feeling much better now. And No more digging. No more digging. And there's just like the whole place is just thrashed. And um, she's like, well, why don't you come up here? And he's like, no, no, I can't use the truck for personal business. And she's like, well, I'm going to come back down. He's like, no, no, no. And she's like, I'm just going to honk. And she just hangs up because it's only like an hour away or something. And then she goes to leave. And the little boy, he's like, I don't want to go. And she's like, why? She's like, I want to stay here with Uncle Steve. I'm afraid of the feathers. Right. Now, I do have a problem with the fe- I mean, it's a clever bit of like screenwriting in the sense that you know there's going to be this scuffle And then the wife is going to show up and stops them from initially killing Kevin Bacon because they're right about yeah. to shoot him. Oh, yeah. Then she shows up and so they can't. And so she comes in and then they try to attack her, but she stabs them with the knife. Because the little boy reminded her to bring her purse. That's right. Which she had put that knife in the purse and she goes back out to the car because when she pulls up, it's all lit up. Yeah. And then when she's like honking the horn... 
these people start turning off the lights in the house. And so she goes back and she gets the knife, which thankfully she does because she thwarts things. These are all Chekhov's gun type payoffs where we've set this up. You can tell a famous screenwriter wrote this movie and directed it because these are a lot of very tight, like screenwritery things. But what we're getting at is here. So during this fight, Kevin Dunn comes up from the basement. He hasn't shot himself and he saves them all by shooting the two guys. Yep. The other dad like shoots up through the ceiling. And it goes through the little boy's pillow. Feathers. But like if the little boy had been there, he wouldn't be lying in his bed no. at that moment. He would be like cowering in the corner right. or something. Or he'd still be out in the car. Who yeah. would know she would have had him go in, but whatever. He wouldn't be trying to go to sleep no. while his dad is scuffling with... Getting going to get murdered downstairs. Yeah, I know. It's a little silly, but whatever. I'll let it slide we get the replay again from his dream where he sees kevin dunn like walking he was like they were gonna kill you they were gonna kill you maggie and tom they were gonna kill you yeah so it's like they knew that kevin dunn was gonna be there right kevin dunn was supposed to be part of this murder right which by the way kevin dunn and also his son not handling this well at all landlord's done this before this was not his first rodeo because he's like don't look at him son he's like here he gives him his booze and he's like turn him over drag him onto the rug rug. i'm like you know you're in trouble if somebody asks you to stand on a tarp or on a rug rug. like you're about to be executed just fyi we rolled up in that rug never to be seen again don't ever get in a car with anybody either if you fear for your life do not get in a car because you're screwed cars tarps and rugs yeah stay away learned anything from this podcast yes stay away from those things yeah i I just always like man this these two are terrible yeah and that's funny that you bring that up because i kind of clued on that this time and i never thought of that before but it's like no the reason why that son is such a creep is because his his dad's a criminal terrible he's done bad things before yeah for sure yeah So, yeah, that's the end of the mystery. We get this sort of um, slightly corny moment where Samantha is her spirit is free and she appears there on the sidewalk and she's got her coat again and her glasses and she walks off down the street and disappears. I don't think that's corny at all. It's a little corny. I actually thought they did a good job with that. It's not terrible. Because it's like all she wanted to do was be free of that fucking house. Yes. (laughs) So she can go do whatever else but like not be trapped in that creepy ass house and uh we see the funeral for her her family gets to mourn her and um she's at rest she's at rest and uh yeah we see the family moving out of the house and as they're heading towards their new home we see the houses passing by and the little boy in the back seat hears more and more voices the stir of echoes you might call it and clamps his hands over his ears because he's like i don't want to hear all of that but i i would say even though we have uh, said how much we dislike that scene that didn't need to be there there was some takeaway from that that i think was important that we get from neil the cop right because he's saying that the little boy has a much better he's like it's like being in a tunnel and having like a a faulty flashlight is what kevin bacon's dealing with because he's just seeing like flashes of things and he doesn't really know what to do with it whereas like the little boy's been directly communicating with her so like the little boy will probably have this forever where he's can definitely communicate with the dead 
or whatever, like straight up have conversations. Whereas like whatever Kevin Bacon's special thing was might not even exist anymore because from what we, the, the, the story that we get from this guy is like, once this is done, it may never happen again. Well, and that segues perfectly into why did this fail? Because earlier that year, we got another movie about a little boy who could communicate with dead people called The Sixth Sense. Oof. The movie that put M. Night Shyamalan on the map, our last week's mm-hmm. discussion topic, recently co-host of the Temple Trauma podcast, Whitney Seibold wrote an article. And in that article, it talks about Kevin Bacon blaming the success of The Sixth Sense as the reason why Stir of Echoes uh, failed because Sixth Sense came out like, what, a month before? Yeah. Whitney's article was referencing, I think it was something that had been in Entertainment Weekly at some point about Kevin Bacon saying like, this is why they were just like, oh my God, they've got this movie in the can. They're ready to get it out there. And it's like, this one's already come and it's, it's killed. And it's probably, yeah, it was like a month before. So it's probably still in the theater. Yeah. And your movie's coming out. That's got some strong similarities. Like as a horror fan, me, I saw both. Yeah. But if you're just a regular person that's like going to see a movie because you've heard like, oh, you got to see The Sixth Sense. I don't think anyone was saying, oh, you got to see Stir of Echoes. Well, I think I'm kind of a good example because I know I saw Stir of Echoes when it hit video, but I'm pretty sure I didn't see it in theaters. So it was probably because I was like, I just saw Sixth Sense. I don't need to see this other ghost movie. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a creator's worst nightmare to think about somebody having another idea that's really close to what your idea is. It's impossible to come up with any sort of idea that no one's ever come up with. And oftentimes you might come up with an idea and find out that somebody else is doing something similar and you just have to roll with these things. But when they come out that close, that's pretty brutal. I mean, you know, we get two volcano movies in a year and two comet movies in a year. But for whatever reason, I do think this case was the Sixth Sense stealing Stir of Echoes Thunder for sure. And it's even worse than that because from that article, and this is I'm reading from Whitney's piece, the director said, quote, the Sixth Sense completely screwed us. We finished shooting and got a hold of its script. We went to the studio and said, hey, there's this movie that's similar to ours with a psychic kid. We should probably get out ahead of that. We could come out in April because The Sixth Sense was going to come out in August. And we were set for September. And then Artisan said, no, we read that. It's soft and no one's going to go to that. Well, you don't want to be the first psychic movie rather than the second. They said no. Oof, yeah. So that was Artisan's call. And they tried to like get ahead of it. I wonder if it would have mattered. I mean, that's an interesting what if scenario. Like what if they had moved Stir of Echoes before Sixth Sense? I mean, I think there's still a possibility that Stir of Echoes wouldn't have done that well anyway. And this is like another possible reason why it failed. And that is the title Stir of Echoes doesn't really sell you on the concept the way the sixth sense does you know what i mean the sixth sense you're like ooh, i kind of get what's going on there right whereas stir of echoes they don't even say that in the movie and i think that's just a term that's relates to you know 
people becoming hypnotized and like that opens up this one sort of thing in their mind that then echoes and creates more phenomenon like the little boy at the end right like, you know and, and all the sounds and and what kevin bacon goes through as a whole yes but i mean the magical black man could have at least thrown that out there somewhere <laughs> like your husband's experiencing a stir of echoes oh. echoes 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 yeah, I mean, yeah, that it's would a have been weird helpful. title. I mean, I like it. I, I like it, but I also have the understanding that it's it's weird. Yeah, what does that mean? What does it mean? So I think they had the problem there with the title. So I do wonder even if they had gotten ahead of Sixth Sense. And also the Sixth Sense has that killer twist. Well, it wasn't going to make the $673 million that the Sixth Sense did. Yeah. Like bananas. But... I think it could have had a chance to at least make more than it did. Yes, I agree with you. I think it would have, would have done better. I think The Sixth Sense still would have come out and still would have been a big hit. But Stir of Echoes could have at least said, well, we got out there first and we still did pretty well. But yeah, I think The Sixth Sense cut it out at the knees. I just feel so bad for the folks involved. And I can only relate to this from like a, a, a dance or cheerleading competition type thing but it's like we've worked so hard on this routine and you've been in a bubble with it and and then you go to do your performance and the people before you like do something because it's just the hive mind of you know it just shit happens yep and it's like you see and you're just like oh my god we had now we have to go after that and that's our routine like we can't like just say well we're not gonna like, oh, uh, it's just, uh, it's just painful. Or like you said, like in, in bands where, yeah. you know, you've got like this killer cover and you're ready to just like slay, slay with it. And the, the opening act like has the same cover. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Life hands you these things sometimes man. or you have a great idea for a movie and you're like all excited to write your spec script and then something comes out with the exact same idea and you're like, oh, it's just painful and it's just the way it goes. And it's not. I mean, sometimes as we you, you and I have discussed as well as like there is some intel. Yeah. There is like some, you know, hey, they're making this. Let's get this out quicker. Marvel. I'm looking at you <laughs> with Civil War coming out right before Batman v Oof. Superman. Oof. Intentionally, they Oof. did that. So hurtful. Well, Civil War, a thousand times better, though, yeah. than the worst movie of all time. Well, I don't agree with you that Batman <laughs> it's not v the Superman is the worst. It's not the worst movie of all time, but it's well, it's probably my least favorite how did we get back to this old chestnut? I just can't. I can't let it go. <laughs> I can't let it go. I can't. But yeah, but I'm just saying more often than not, it's not sinister. It's just like what's in the fucking ether. Like people are just on the same wavelength. It just happens. Yeah. And it's painful. It is painful. Now, let me just ask you one last question. What do you like better, The Sixth Sense or Stir of Echoes, if you had to choose? If I had to choose, I, I, I mean, I know it's weird, but I kind of like Stir of Echoes better. I think that is a totally valid choice. I do still prefer The Sixth Sense. I just think that it's so well constructed. It's an amazing movie. And I I mean, I remember just gasping in the theater when I saw I mean, the, the twist is, it's, it's amazing. I do love that film, but... If I'm, I'm basing this on like which one have I seen more often, mm -hmm. I've definitely watched Stir of Echoes more often than I have The Sixth Sense. And I think it's because I just maybe like the vibe 
a little better. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. And plus, M. Night has sort of lost his luster. And it's funny, when you go back to The Sixth Sense, even though I still maintain that it's a pretty perfect movie, you do see some M. Nightisms that have now become like the earmark of his like tone deaf qualities that just weren't necessarily apparent in that movie. There's a couple of weird scenes in that movie where you're like, huh, what's going on here tonally? Like, are they trying to be funny? But overall, I mean, when I first saw The Sixth Sense, I thought it was great. I Absolutely. Was like, it's a great twist. And the twist hadn't been spoiled. And uh, yeah, I mean, I just really liked it. So I still have a spot in my heart for that movie. I do, too. My dad and I saw The Sixth Sense together. Oh, we, we yeah, we thought it was great. But I probably have I, I might have seen The Happening more times than I've seen The Sixth Sense. Yeah, you know. <laughs> now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, and I'm like... Might have seen the happening more times than the sixth sense. All right. Well, do you have anything more to say about Stir of Echoes? I really love the movie. I kind of want to read the Richard Matheson's book. I mean, I don't think it's a whole book. I think it's a. Story. I mean, a short story. I'm sorry. Yeah, the the short story. I think I I, I would I, I would like to do that because I really just like this story. I love I love Kevin Bacon. I just do. Like I just really really just enjoy him. He's such a great actor. This is some prime bacon. It is some prime bacon. I mean, he's really still quite young looking and handsome. He is. He's doing a great job and, you know, he's just really bringing it. He's just delightful. I just really enjoyed him in the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special and stuff, too. Like, he's he's just a delight. But, yeah, I think the whole film is just well cast. It's just very... Um, it's just a very believable cast. Yes. It, it, everybody fits. And um, I'm sorry it didn't slay at the box office. I think it's a well-regarded movie now. I think so. I think people people like Stir of Echoes. For sure. Well, I like Stir of Echoes too, and I would recommend it as well. Hello, hello. Yeah, that Poe song <laughs> at the end is pretty dreadful. Da, 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 da. <laughs> it's so like, and that is something... It is so like the end of the 90s at this point. Like Catherine Herb has a lot of 90s um, wear. Like, like, yeah, a lot of midriff. The choker. Shirts, the choker, the midriff shirts. Yeah. And the music for sure. Like Poe at the end. It just it's it feels like I, I just I remember that time. This was also the year that Blair Witch came out, too. Yep. What a year, which I think was also artisan. Yes. What a year for horror. It's a banging year for movies in general. A lot of really yeah. good movies came out in 99. Fight Club, The Matrix. Yep these movies phantom menace just kidding. <laughs> try to slip that one in semi well i am going to go stick a pin through my hand and chug a bunch of orange juice and uh go dig i have to dig that about does it today for tentpole trauma if you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Both 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.